Lord, if you would not withhold your only son, but you gave him up for us all, how will you not also with him freely give us all things? So speak to us today from your word. Say things I didn't say. (laughs) Cause people to hear things from you, from your spirit. And just make me your mouthpiece. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would take your Bible and um, you're going to have to do a little uh, gymnastics here. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5 if you have a, uh, a book type Bible. And put a finger there and go to Acts 20. And if you're using a mobile device, just go ahead and go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Find the Bible app in that. We're in this series called um, The Dearest Place on Earth. And it actually comes from an old sermon by uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was an old Baptist preacher back in the 1900s, or yeah, back in the 1800s, 1850 to 1870. Um, pastored the largest church of the world at that time, about 6,000 people, baptized about 10,000 people, and just a just a phenomenon. And at one of his sermons, he was talking about the church and he called it the dearest place on earth. And those of us who were a part of the 10th anniversary last week, whether you were online, welcome. Those of you who are watching online or whether you were here, maybe you kind of felt like this is the dearest place on earth. It was just so sweet um, what, what the Lord did as we celebrated and just thanked him uh, for the 10 years that we have. By the way, just while I'm thinking about it, uh, I want to thank you for wearing your mask because um, it's uncomfortable. I know that. It's hard to sing, although you would be surprised how much volume of song I, I could hear standing right over here. But I just want to say thank you uh, for that as we try to, to protect one another uh, during this season of time. We talked about some of the multiple metaphors that the Bible uses for the church, word pictures, analogies. Uh, We talked about the church as the bride of Christ. And just as a husband loves his wife, Christ loves the church, not because we're beautiful, we're very flawed and imperfect, but he loves us to make us beautiful. And he loves us with a special love. God loves everybody. We know that God so loved the world, but he loves his people with a special particular love. And so we're his bride. And we talked about, John talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact that we're the family of God, which means we all have the same father, so that makes us brothers and sisters. And we, we treat each other like family. And for some of you coming from your family, you're going, that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> but as you can, if you can imagine a, a perfect family of love and kindness and, and giving up to each other and sharing that's the kind of picture that God wants for his church. And today we're going to look at a different picture that the scripture gives us for the church. The apostle Paul one time gathered the leaders of the church of the town of Ephesus and gathered them in a place. It was his last time he would ever be with them. And here's what he said in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, that word literally means to pastor, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears." So he talks about a flock, 
and he mentions uh, shepherds. 1 Peter chapter 5, the first uh, seven verses. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for, not for shameful gain, but, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger. And we're, we're not sure whether he means younger in the faith or younger in age. So perhaps, perhaps both. Uh, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is God's word. And he refers to the church as a flock of sheep and leaders in the church as shepherds. And that's not a part of our culture. So I uh, just want to raise a question. Has anybody here ever been a shepherd? Any, if somebody raises your hand near you and I don't see, please, please yell at me. Has anybody spent time with, with sheep? Right, right here? Okay. This is the audience participation part of the sermon. All right, got a couple of people, and I want to find out what, what happened. Can I ask you to tell us, what were you doing with sheep? <laughs> when I was a kid, I lived on a farm. We had sheep. Okay, and tell us what sheep were like. Sheep are very docile. They like to be in groups, and they will easily follow you. Okay. And uh, sometimes they're not too smart. <laughs> they, uh, like, um, if they fall upside down in a creek, they can't get back up. Okay. You have to help them. They're, they're dependent. Okay, good, good. Who else? Somebody over here? Way back in the back? All right. Somebody over here has been a sheep? Okay. What, what, what were you doing? I was in Australia, in uh, New Zealand. Well, yeah, Australia and New Zealand. Sheep are very, um, they're spooked very easily. Uh, and they're dependent, but I think what surprised me the most is that they're, they're just, uh, they like to huddle in masses, but they're spooked. Okay. And then they scatter. All right, good, good. Well, the rest of us don't have any experience. How many of you have been to a petting zoo? Or your child has a little stuffed animal, a little lamb? Um, I don't know anything about sheep apart from the fact that four years ago when I walked across Spain on a sabbatical, I came across a shepherd, and I just want you to watch this little video that I took uh, with my camera, my phone. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I know them. Shepherds are so prominent, able, 
Adam and Eve had Cain, and then they had Abel, and Cain worked a farm, and Abel was a sheep, a keeper of sheep, a, a shepherd. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were all shepherds. David was a shepherd. Remember, David wrote the 23rd Psalm. Repeat that first word, first verse with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, I won't be in want. He takes care of me, provides for me. He, he, he cares for me. Uh, in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah, the, the political leaders of the country are called the shepherds. And they're not good shepherds. God has some very harsh words to say about them. You move into the New Testament, and the very first people to get the announcement about the birth of Jesus the Messiah are some shepherds who are watching their sheep by night. And Jesus himself referred to himself as, as a shepherd. In fact, in John 10, he said, I know my sheep, and they know me, and they follow me, and no one can take them out of my hand. He's a very protective shepherd. And in that same chapter in John 10, Jesus says this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. And that's a great missionary passage. The Shawiya people that we have adopted who live in North Africa, the Algeria area, and other southern part of France, two and a half million of them, maybe five or six Christians, they are sheep that Jesus wants to be part of his fold. So we're doing what we can, even during this, um, this time that we're in now, to pray for them, and uh, we'll be sending prayer teams once again to do what, what we can. So from beginning to end, God's people are compared to sheep, and leaders of God's people are compared to shepherds. Now, question, is that a compliment for us to be called sheep, or is that an insult? Is that good or bad? You're saying, you tell us, Pastor. Well, it, it depends because sheep, as you heard, are, uh, they like to gather together. We do that. Uh, sheep are uh, beautiful animals. They're, they're humble. They're, they're incredibly useful. Every part of a sheep is useful, not just the wool, but uh, the meat, the milk, the hooves. Every part of the sheep is valuable. In fact, wealth was measured in the Old Testament by the number of sheep and cattle that a person had. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why sheep were used as sacrifices on the altar because they were so valuable. It meant that you were giving God something that, that you treasured, was, was precious to you. So I did a little bit of study about sheep to try to find out what it means for the Lord to call us the sheep of, of his pasture, his flock. And here's what I came up with. Let me get, give you some, this is just fascinating to, to me. A sheep, contrary to popular belief, are not dumb. They are quite intelligent. But there are some things about sheep that makes them appear to be uh, not very intelligent. For example, they have no sense of direction. A sheep can be lost if it's put just a little ways away from its home. If it ventures outside the territory that it knows, the pasture that it knows, it's in unfamiliar territory, and it's completely lost. Doesn't know where it is. Doesn't know where, where, where to go. You know, there are some animals that have an ins a homing instinct. Uh, you can place, sometimes you can place a dog a long ways away. He'll find his way home. Sheep have no sense of direction like that at all, which is why, and they panic. They get confused when, when they're lost, which is why I think Jesus 
in Matthew 9 says, when he, when, it's, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep are led astray very easily, which is why Isaiah 53 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. In fact, I was reading about Australia and New Zealand that um, sheep are led to the slaughter by something called the Judas sheep, which is a male sheep that has been trained, and he, he leads the way to the slaughterhouse, the killing floor, and the other sheep just follow him blindly, and when he gets there, a little side door opens, and he goes out to find other sheep to bring in, and they kill the sheep that, that followed him. He's called the Judas sheep. Sheep can so easily be led to their death. They need to be protected. They need to be guided. They need to be cared for, which is why Jesus, in his famous story in Luke 15, talks about a shepherd who left 99 sheep. They were safe in the pasture, and he goes looking for the one sheep that is strayed away because they're so easily lost. Here's something else. They're vulnerable and defenseless. I mean, most animals can smell water at a distance. Sheep cannot. So sheep can die of thirst very near a source of water. They're not discriminate eaters. They will eat there was a, in the western part of our country, between the cattlemen and the sheep herders, there was this massive war back in the late 1800s because the sheep would eat the grass down to the dirt and then eat the dirt. They can't tell the difference between good grass and poisonous weeds. Um, if the ground is wet, they get foot rot. Now, they can starve to death if they're, if they're neglected. Flies kill sheep by sorry to gross anybody out, by laying eggs inside their nostrils, which become maggots and then flies inside their head and literally drive sheep crazy and kill them that way. Sheep die when they're left alone. So the shepherd is the key to the life of sheep. Uh, There's no animal as defenseless as sheep. In fact, if a predator, a wolf, for example, comes to the sheep instead of sheep, they don't fight they all bunch together and just stand there and be killed. I mean, they're like dead meat or dead wool, whatever. They don't fight. They have no defensive kind of instinct uh, resistance at all. So they're easy pickings. They just give up and die. Sheep cannot survive without a shepherd. In fact, as you said, or I think you said it here, as grown sheep, full-grown sheep, if he's on his back, falls over, gets on his back, many times cannot right himself unless a shepherd comes along and puts him right, and then because the circulation is gone out of his legs, he'll collapse again. So a shepherd will often have to take a sheep and hold it until circulation is, is back. So sheep just need constant attention. They get lost. They can't find water, food. They eat the wrong things. They roll over and die. They get hurt. They give up. They can't run or kick or bite or scratch, jump. They're vulnerable, and yet they're the most useful animal. Every single part of the sheep, and they are precious. And Jesus, we're told, loves his sheep and wants them to be healthy, wants the flock to be healthy, so he provides leaders who the text calls shepherds. Every human community has leaders. If kids around the playground playing football, somebody's picking the, the teams, getting them organized. 
If uh, you're part of a volunteer service project, somebody's got to get the thing organized. If you're going to have a birthday party or some kind of celebration, somebody's putting it together. Every human event has leaders. And I want you to think for a moment of all the people, you may be one of them, who have wounds and scars and cynicism because they've been a part of a church that was not healthy or was not well-led. I think this is one of the reasons the two texts that we read are so incredibly important because Jesus cares so much for his flock, his people, his church, that he provides leadership and gives very clear instruction about the kind of leadership that a church is to have. So I want to step the stage by going into this text of sharing with you three flawed models of church leadership. Very common, practiced very often, but not biblical. Here, just very quickly. First is the anointed leader model of leadership. And this is the, maybe you've been in a church with this model where they've got the pastor higher than anybody else and he is untouchable and he is, can't be questioned about anything. He has the anointing of God on him. He's often a solo leader. You cannot question him. What he says goes. Now, can God use that model of leadership? Sure. Sure he can, but it's not biblical. The other is, a second one is the hierarchical, hierarchical model. It's, it's the pyramid model where you, you go from being a deacon to a priest to a bishop to an archbishop, a cardinal, and on and on. And the higher you go in the hierarchy, the less you are connected to a particular church, a particular body. So you've got people very high up in the pyramid who are really not a part of any local fellowship. Can God use that model? Sure he can. Is it biblical? No. Here's the third. It's the CEO board model, taken right out of corporate America, where the pastor's like a CEO and there's a board of directors to keep the pastor in check, to keep the, the staff in check. And they fire him if he doesn't hit the metrics. When church is structured like that, the church begins to feel like a business. Can God use that model? Sure he can. Is it biblical? No. So what is the biblical model that God gives so that his flock, his church, can be healthy? Well, that's what 1 Peter 5 and Acts 20 are all about. Take a look at it for just a moment. 1 Peter 5, we'll just kind of stay there. Peter says, verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you. I want you to notice three things. There's a group of people called elders, and it's plural, which is more than one, and they're among the people of the church. They're sheep before they're shepherds. They, they know the people of the church. They're, they're one of the people of the church. One of our elders says, Leaders, elders, pastors ought to smell like sheep, which means we need to be among the, the people. And then in verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God. Whose flock is it? Say it. It's God's flock. And I, I hear pastors and staff people say, well, in my church, and I understand what they mean, it's not my church. It's God's flock. It's God's church. So he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. And if you do, write in your Bible, you circle, or you make maybe a highlight on your phone, 
there are three words there that are really important, and they're all connected. There's the word elder, there's the word shepherd, and there's the word oversight. A shepherd, the Greek word presbyteros, it's, it's the word for pastor. A pastor is a shepherd, a shepherd is a, a pastor. And, and then you have the word um, pastor's a poem, and you have the word elder, which is presbyteros, they get Presbyterian, that word from that. And those are people who are pastors. And then you have the word oversight, which is the word episkopos. We get the word episcopalian uh, from this. Sometimes it's translated bishop. And here's the connection an elder is a pastor, is an overseer or a, bish- a bishop. They are synonymous terms. In fact, in our church, we have people on staff, vocationally full time in, in ministry who are elders. John over here is an elder. I'm an elder. And Jason Holmes is an elder in training. It's a year of preparation. And then we have elders who are not on staff. They have a real job. Don Groves, Jack Joseph, Todd Poley, Michael Wallerath. But they are no less pastors. In fact, Don, when he came on as an elder, he said, you mean I'm a pastor? I said, yeah, that's right. You just don't get paid here. You get paid in heaven. He went, all right, if I'm a pastor, I'll be a, I'll be a pastor. Elders are pastors. Pastors are, are elders. And we're responsible together to shepherd the flock of God. And in this passage in 1 Peter 5, he gives instructions to elders. He gives instructions to the flock. And then he gives instructions to everybody. So let's just walk through that for a moment. And by the way, you cannot read this without seeing the experience of Peter, his personal experience. If you would throw that verse on, first from John 21, throw that on the screen if you would, please. This is after Jesus rose from the dead and uh, meets with the disciples. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know, I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Next verse. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Next verse. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, three times was not an accident because Peter had denied Christ three times. And in my own mind, I imagine Peter is thinking, well, some of the other guys may be fit for leadership, but not me. I'm not leadership material. I I have failed the Lord way too many times. And Jesus appears to him and says these three questions, and then he gives three commands, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, as a way of saying your failure does not define you. My, My commands define you. So I want you to shepherd my flock. And so when Peter in 1 Peter 5 says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's about to be revealed, he's giving his own, he's speaking out of his own personal relationship with Christ. And elders or church leaders, whatever you call them, have to walk with Jesus. They have to be hearing from Jesus. They have to feel the calling of Jesus, have this growing relationship Uh, with Jesus. So it says, shepherd God's flock. What does that mean? 
What does it mean that God's people need to be shepherd, shepherded? Well, go back to sheep once again. It means to be cared for. It means to be loved. How do we do that? And there are four things that our elders have agreed to do that shepherd this flock. We know, we feed, we guide, and we protect. We have to know the sheep. You cannot shepherd sheep you don't know. And we're in the Old Testament and today in the Middle East, when a little baby sheep is born, it's, it's just trembling. A shepherd picks the sheep up, the little lamb up, and he holds it and he warms it and he caresses it. And throughout the life of that sheep, that shepherd is there taking care. So the sheep can trust the shepherd because he knows the shepherd loves him and cares for him all of his life. Sometimes sheep get all tangled up in brambles and they eat poisonous things. And every night the shepherd is inspecting the sheep, making sure that they're okay. Nothing's harming them. And elders have to know people. We have to be among the people of God. We have to be serving in every way that we can. In fact, in the Middle East today, when shepherds are there with their sheep, as they did thousands of years ago, at nighttime, they build some kind of a little corral, a, a pen, and they'll use branches or brambles or bushes, maybe three or four or five feet high to protect from predators, or they'll get into a cave, or they'll pile up rocks, and they'll have one entrance into the pen, and the shepherd himself will lie down as the door to that pen. If you're going to get to the sheep, you've got to get through me. Which is why Jesus said, I'm the door as well as I'm the shepherd. So church leaders have to know people. And we have to feed people. What I'm trying to do here from God's word, what John tries to do. Others in classes, we feed people with God's word, with, with what we hope is wise counsel. We guide people. We, we seek to lead the church, which is why the elders are, have said, we believe that God's hand is on John Nix and God's leading us, and this next week we'll have a vote of the church. And the elders are nominating and recommending that John be the next senior pastor here. And elders protect the sheep, which means the work of a church leader is to care for, to build up, to support, uh, to protect. And Peter tells us how we do it. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. If someone has to bribe you or force you to be a leader, you shouldn't be a leader. You don't do it out of a sense of guilt. You do it because you sense this is what the Lord wants, and you do it eagerly. I, I want to serve God's people. And he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, I don't do this because of what I get from it. I'm doing this for Jesus. And verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. There's so many people who look at the church and look at church leaders and say it's all about power. It's all about domination. It's all about manipulation. No, he says, shepherds are ex to be examples. Here's what a disciple looks like. Here's what it means in all of your imperfections and all of your flaws. Here's what it means to walk with Jesus. And so, it's not about power. It's, it's about serving. It's about discipleship. It's about self-sacrifice. And then he says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, if a shepherd is a pastor and a chief pastor, senior pastor, it means in a healthy church, Jesus is the real senior pastor. He's the senior pastor. Everybody else is an under-shepherd. 
serving him. In a, in a healthy church, Jesus sits at the head of the table. Jesus is the center of activities. He's the senior pastor, and everybody else is in submission uh, to him. Now, how do you know if in a church elders are submitted to Jesus? Well, one way is, are they submitted to his word? Because if the scriptures are taught clearly and authoritatively and truly, that the Bible's applied in counseling and discipleship, if the life of the church revolves around what God says, then you've got to you probably have a pretty good chance of seeing a, a healthy church develop because it's submitted to the Lord Jesus. That's where it all begins. And he says, shepherd the sheep who are among you. I take that to mean the sheep, the church, can hold elders accountable for what they're to be. They can provide feedback. They can say, are, are we really doing what this says right here? It's not that we're just docile and follow blindly. No, no, we all have the obligation to hold each other uh, to the highest. So you can expect that elders, at least in this church, will try to follow the Scripture as flawed and imperfect as we are. We'll do our best to follow the Scripture and we'll do our best to, to care for God's people. You have, a right, you have the freedom to question. And some of you men here need to aspire to be elders because we really do need more shepherds. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm qualified. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 give the qualification of elders, and they are nothing more than the qualifications of a mature, godly Christian. Every person in this room ought to be aspire to, to be a mature, godly Christian, and men in this room, many of you ought to aspire and say, you know what, I think, I think, I think the Lord could use me like that. I, I really do. And we have a, a plan and a program in place to train up future elders, and they are needed. And then he gives instructions to the flock. In verse 5, he says, um, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. What does it mean to be subject to the elders? I think it means be willing to be shepherded. I'm willing to be shepherded. I think it begins with membership. We can't know people. We, we, who are not here and part of the church. I, I think it, because if you go through membership, you'll have the opportunity to sit down with two of our elders and hear their story and they'll hear your story and they will know you and you'll know them. I, th I think it means that uh, elders submit to each other. This is not one-way submission. And it's a big ask, isn't it? To ask to people to be subject to another flawed, imperfect human being? I'm going to give you two things. Number one, if Jesus is the chief shepherd and under shepherds are serving and they're accountable to him, then in a sense being accountable to and being subject to elders or shepherds is a way of being subject to Jesus. And, and you can't make someone be subject to you. I learned I learned in another church you can't make people do what they don't want to do. <laughs> you have a choice. We're not told the shepherds are to tell people, be subject to me. No. That's your choice. It's a voluntary thing. You make the decision whether you will be subject or live out your subjection to Jesus by being submissive to under shepherds. And it's a big ask, but it's not forced. So he speaks to elders, he speaks to the flock, and then he speaks to everybody in verse 5. 
He says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you get up in the morning, nobody here has to really think a whole lot about putting your clothes on. If you've got a big day, important meeting, you dress nicely. If it's Saturday, you maybe, or Sunday, or what, you dress differently. We kind of do it as a routine. And I think he's saying, as a kind of routine, as a discipline, as something you just do, put on your humble suit. Clothe yourself in humility, all of us. How do elders do that? This is what makes a church work. Where everybody's just trying to practice humility. How do elders practice humility? We acknowledge our weaknesses. We acknowledge our faults and our, our limitations. And I hope that you see that at the orchard because we really do try to be honest here. We all have our own wounds. We all have our own scars and stories and challenges. And we do the best that we can as flawed, failing human beings. But humility on, on the part of elders is, is saying, I'm not Jesus. And he's the chief shepherd. And it looks like we invite questions. We invite feedback. We welcome feedback because we're going to mess some stuff up. So feel free to let us know because sometimes we're flying blind and you can really help. What does humility look like? And you pray for us, please. But what does humility look like on the part of people in the church and in, in the flock? I think one way it means you assume the best of everybody. You give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And we tend not to do that. We tend to assume the best of ourselves and give the benefit of the doubt to ourselves. Well, I, yeah, I did that, but I, I didn't mean it. That was not my intention. But hey, he did it, and he meant it. So I think humility means we, we give each other the benefit of the doubt. And we cultivate that kind of humility. I get two kinds of emails. <laughs> Over the years, I've had two kinds of emails. They fall into two categories. Here's one. You're terrible, and here's why. This church is terrible, and here's why. And sometimes feedback comes with a little bit an edge, kind of an attitude. Here's the second kind. I know you probably don't mean this, but here's how that came off. I know you might not realize it, but here's something I want to point out to you. And I, I really appreciate those because they help me see some blind spots that, that we all have. I think humility means you welcome leadership. You welcome direction. You're not a person who says, I'm going to flash solo. I don't need anybody else. I don't need direction. I don't need guidance. I need to welcome input. I need to welcome shepherding. And when a church does this, it's a beautiful spirit. When the elders are walking in humility and the people are walking in humility, and then he, he says things to all of us. Look at verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's a great exhortation. This is too heavy for me, Lord. Okay, I got, I, I got it. Bring it to me. I, I, I've got this. But it's in the context of leadership that he's talking about here. So I think he's saying elders, leaders, community group leaders, Bible teachers, Cast your anxiety about leadership on me. Followers of Jesus, people who are part of the flock, cast your anxieties about submission onto me. I'm the chief shepherd, he says. I'm the bishop, bishop of your souls. I'm the one at the center of it all. So he just invites us to come to him and give him our burdens because he cares for us. Now I want to close like this. 
There are two things that make a church unhealthy. Fear and pride. Two things make a church unhealthy. Pride and fear. They create a lot of sideways energy. Pride on the part of leaders, power plays, manipulation. Pride on the part of people in the church, gossip, comparing. Fear on the part of leaders results in instability and security. Fear on the part of people in the church results in withholding and disconnection from the church. It's fear and pride that cause this whole thing to go sideways. And the answer to pride and fear, humility and trusting Jesus. How do you get those? And that brings us back to the gospel. Because the gospel reminds us every one of us is worse than we think. We're more selfish, we've got more pride, we've got more fear than we think. And the gospel just invites us to come clean, just to admit it. Whether we're a leader or a follower, where you're insecure, where you're fearful, where you're power hungry, just admit it to him. And the gospel reminds us that God's grace is real and strong and greater than we think. So in spite of fear and pride, God wants to use us. God gives the Holy Spirit to pastors, elders, to help them shepherd with grace and humility and wisdom. And God gives to the church, to the flock, the Holy Spirit to help us follow with humility and with courage and faithfulness. And in a healthy church, Jesus is the senior pastor. He's the one in charge. Would you join me in prayer, please? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of your word, and we thank you that um, you give instructions and guidance that speak directly to many of the experiences that many of us have had. And you call us to something higher than ourselves. So we thank you this morning for the gospel of grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you with our issues and our sins. (laughs) Know they are washed because you gave your life for the church. And we thank you, Lord, for the leaders that you place among us. And we pray, Lord, would you send more. Call out more. Thank you for the blessing that is when your church is healthy and following your direction. Thank you that in so many ways that, that describes what you're doing at the orchard now. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.